Hello and Happy New Year from the good, the bad, the ugly, the aviation maintenance industry. I am your host, Brian Wheels, and welcome to the first podcast of the year. We are talking about an aircraft mechanics liability and the consequences coming up. Hello, everybody, and Happy New Year from the good, the bad, the ugly, the aviation maintenance industry. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. This is a very cool podcast, the first one of the new year, obviously, and we're talking about an aircraft mechanics liability and the consequences. So we're not talking about letters of investigation, uh, suspension, revocation of an AMP certification. We're talking about how the law views an aircraft mechanics liability. And this is something that stems from a discussion I had last summer with a couple of coworkers. And you know, we get together, we talk about pretty much anything and everything. And we got to talking, of course, about how the culture and the atmosphere in aviation maintenance, how it's taken a change for the worst. And now that aircraft incidents due to maintenance are on the rise, how are mechanics held liable per the law? And this then sidetracked into a discussion about a mechanics liability in general. And you know me, I do my due diligence when I can. So I reached out to a couple aviation lawyers to get their take on how the law defines an aircraft mechanics liability. And I totally expected to have three separate different things told to me. But uh, all three of them, I spent about 20, 25 minutes with each of these lawyers talking to them about what the law, how the law defines an aircraft mechanics liability. And they pretty much all said the same thing. These three lawyers between them, they have about 45 years of experience in the courtroom dealing with everything aviation, including prosecuting and defending aircraft mechanics in court. But before we get into it, let me say this because someone's going to bring it up. We're all human. We're all prone to human error. We're not infallible as human beings. And yes, even yours truly has made mistakes. And I understand we are human, plain and simple. We're prone to the human element. Mistakes are going to happen. And I'm an advocate for mechanics. Never doubt me on that. I am on the side of every good mechanic out there. As long as you do the right things for the right reasons and you toe the line, you're a good mechanic in my book. But this might come as a surprise to you. I'm generally not on the side of management. Though I have been a manager, I have been a supervisor, and a really good one. I never got along with the toxic ones, though. And I'm not afraid to say it, I've made a few enemies along the way. But the sad fact is, there are shady aircraft mechanics out there, and they believe they won't get caught. They believe no one's going to find out what's the chances, that type of stuff. But the plain damn truth of it is, there is accountability, and there's liability. During the early years of aviation, enforcement action against mechanics who violated the rules and the regulations was pretty rare. And unless there was a loss of life accident, there usually was little to no punishment. From 1956 to 1994, 23% of accidents and incidents, they were due to maintenance. And from 1994 to 2019, this rose to 32%. While that is still low in comparison to other human and environmental factors that do cause aircraft accidents and incidents, Many of these, they were caused by complacency, not following the prescribed maintenance procedures, using shortcuts, and of course, our old favorite, intimidation and pressures from poor management. In the late 1970s, the FAA, they started seeing this rise in improper maintenance being done on aircraft. So they put their collective knuckle-headed minds together, and they amended 14 CFR Part 43, Section 43.12. But that amended part only talks about fraudulent or intentionally false entries on records. It really doesn't clearly define the consequences for an aircraft mechanic who's caught screwing up. 
But after the 1996 ValueJet Flight 592 crash and the congressional investigation that followed, the FAA, they went under new management. The head bosses in the FAA, they were fired. And the new bosses that came in, they opened up new FISDO offices all over the U.S. And they hired new safety field inspectors. And they gave a directive to these FISDOs to tighten the belt and to put the hurt on those found performing shady maintenance. But after the value jet crash, things were still not shaping up and up. Although during that time period, the FAA slogan became, we're not happy until you're not happy. You would think that sounds, you know, very enforcey-ish, right? Like the FAA, you know, I'm going to come down on you, you better be doing the right thing. Well, if you've listened to my podcast for any length of time, you know that the, the FAA, they don't do their job. They're clowns. The Department of Transportation has admonished and criticized the FAA, airlines, and aviation companies for many years and has recommended that they get their act together. But the FAA, we know, they're, they're sticking in each other's behinds. They're going wherever they can to get a heads up on something. And their excuse is, well, we're struggling. We're caught between trying to promote aviation and trying to enforce aviation. That's a bunch of bullshit. It's not the FAA's job to promote aviation. It's their job to enforce the regulations within aviation. Leave it up to those individual companies to promote themselves. In business, it's feast or famine. You either succeed or you don't. But it's not the FAA's job to be mother hen and to ensure that aviation as a whole is being promoted. Because we know that's a crap. They don't promote general aviation. <laughs> they don't promote FBOs, repair stations, MROs. They promote airlines. Their buddies at the airlines, that's who they promote. So give me a break on that. The FAA uses the same excuse over and over again. But back on point. It's not difficult for an honest mechanic with integrity to keep out of trouble. But for some airlines, some MROs, and some mechanics, it's tempting for them to do so. Now, just because a shady mechanic or an even shadier aviation company, they might have beat the FAA sanctions, they might not have been caught by them. That doesn't mean they beat the civil liability if they screw up or they get caught. And as I said in the beginning of the podcast, I reached out to three separate aviation lawyers over the course of a month and a half. And I spent about 20, 25 minutes with each of them asking them different questions, and particularly what does the law say about an aircraft mechanic's liability? Because of an aircraft that you work on, if it ends up in an accident, you might very well be fined, you might go to court, and you might be imprisoned. And it has happened. There have been aircraft mechanics who have ended up in jail for performing shady maintenance and falsifying documentation. But unfortunately, and I'm sure most of you know this, not many of the bad leadership that exists in aviation do they get caught. Do they go to jail, which is a shame. And I'll tell you a little bit why. Now, according to all three of these lawyers, they said all the same things in common. A mechanic can be found negligent and liable for money damages, legal damages, in addition to being criminally charged if the accident or the incident results in injury or death, especially injury or death. Even if you could prove that the maintenance you performed filed the regulations, filed the technical publications, you could still get in trouble. And that is because most maintenance-related FARs, they're considered to be minimum standards. And let me share with you what one of these aviation lawyers who actually is a prosecutor told me. The first thing that he goes after an aircraft mechanic on 
is that the FARS, as it relates to aviation maintenance, is minimum standards. So he uses that against aircraft mechanics. If you were to end up in court because something happened to the aircraft that you worked on, your defense is going to be torn apart because a good prosecutor is going to say, well, I don't care really that you file the technical publications from the manufacturer for that aircraft. You fall under the purview of the FAA. And under the purview of the FAA, within the FARs, the maintenance-related FARs, that's all considered to be minimum standard. So you, sir, you, Mr. Mechanic, you perform the minimum maintenance. You are negligent. Because to the public, the standard of care that's expected in the industry, it's presumed higher, thus is expected, that you performed your maintenance above and beyond that of the minimum standard. And also, and I quote, under tort law, there needs to be nothing that shows that a mechanic violated a regulation in order to be found negligent. You only have to prove that the mechanic failed to exercise care as would be expected of a prudent person in similar circumstances. And that is very broad, and I understand that. And that's what I said to all three of these attorneys. That's very broad. I mean, you're holding an aircraft mechanic's feet to the fire over something that is so generalistic. And they said, absolutely. Because if you fail to exercise care as would be expected of a prudent person in similar circumstances, then you're negligent. And of course, the second thing the prosecutor is going to do if you end up in court is they're going to tug on the heartstrings of the jury because likely you're going to end up in front of a jury. And they're going to play emotions with the jury. They're going to point out the victims and families of victims. They're going to point to you and say, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this aircraft mechanic, he did not go above and beyond because his beloved FAA says what he does is minimum standards. He just did the minimum. Now, it doesn't sound right. I know that. I understand. I was shocked to hear that too. And so I asked these aviation attorneys, the prosecutor using that argument, how many aircraft mechanics have you defended that have ended up in prison or fined or criminally charged? And they said, just by the prosecutor using those two points, about 35%. So, wow, holy cow. That's, I mean, that's not 50, but still, that's kind of sucky. <laughs> Furthermore, it's not always necessary to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, but only by the preponderance of evidence, or that is more likely than not that the aircraft mechanic acted negligently. And this is kind of how bad management or leadership got out of trouble, because occasionally, especially if you're the mechanic, you're defending yourself, and you're defending yourself on the premise of human factors. Let's say that you had a bad manager or supervisor that were coercing, intimidating, and strong-arming you to perform illegal maintenance. So you broke under pressure and you complied, and something happened in that aircraft, and now you're in jail. That maintenance manager, that supervisor, they might be subpoenaed to court to testify. If you have a good defense attorney, he's going to use in that example human factors, and he's going to spend some time explaining what human factors is. And I know some of you out there are thinking to yourself, human factors is nothing, it's just an excuse. Well, some people do use it as an excuse, but if you just Google human factor studies, okay, or human factor studies aviation maintenance, in the last eight to 10 years, there have been a lot of studies on human factors and its relation to aviation maintenance and aircraft mechanics specifically. And there have been several high-profile incidents and accidents that have involved human factors. As they looked into these, as they investigated these incidents, they found it was maintenance-related. And on some of them, it went back to a manager or a supervisor 
who is using these retaliatory tactics against an aircraft mechanic who is human, remember, human, and they caved in and they did something wrong. I'm not defending an aircraft mechanic doing something wrong, even if it's because human factors, but since I'm empathetic and I understand the science behind it, at least the philosophy behind it, human factors, it at least makes it understandable. And I hope that you too, and there's not many people that write me saying, oh, you're a piece of shit because you're defending people with human fit. No, I'm not. I'm not defending the actions. I'm defending the thought, the premise behind it, the philosophy that human factors is behind incidents and accidents at times. So you have a bad manager, a bad supervisor on a stand. They're going to testify. And what they're going to say is, I told the mechanic several times to do the right thing. I told the mechanic several times to be safe. But in the end, I'm just a manager. He or she did the work. I didn't do the work. I only managed them. And that is true. And that emphasizes the importance of speaking up when you know something is wrong and not letting yourself be strong-armed or intimidated into performing bad maintenance. If you take anything away from this podcast, remember that. You, in the end, it's your signature. Your ass is on the line. Not your manager's, not your supervisor's. It's yours. You have the option of saying, no, sir, what you're telling me to do is wrong. And it is obvious that the context of performing aircraft maintenance per the prudent person standard is very broad. But if it were to get all the way to the jury, the prosecutor is going to make it a point that you were the one who was negligent, that you had the ultimate say, that you could have prevented a catastrophe. It's not going to be your manager. It's not going to be your supervisor. It's going to be you. And remember, the jury is going to likely have no aviation background. When they're doing jury selection, they're going to make sure that they have no aviation maintenance background because they want the jury to be as neutral as possible essentially to be dumb and blind because they want to hammer you. And let me share with you an example that one of these aviation attorneys shared with me when he was defending an aircraft mechanic. This aircraft mechanic had only been in the industry for about two or three years. He had two small children. He had a wife. He was in the hangar performing a seat check, and he was tasked with inspecting a flap over travel stop. And he found it just within limits, barely within limits, and he was concerned. So he went to his lead, and he told his lead, hey, I'm concerned that this flap over travel stop, it's (laughs) it's right on the edge, and I think we need to replace it. And the lead agreed, told the mechanic to write up a non-routine, so the mechanic did. And it was either the, the next day or the day after, his maintenance supervisor seeks him out at his toolbox with the non-routine and says, why did you write this up? You know the aircraft is already delayed and this is going to delay it a week. I'm not going to delay it a week. The mechanics explained to him that that flap over travel stop was just barely within limits, and it's going to fail at one point sooner rather than later. Now, this maintenance supervisor, he had a history within this company of firing mechanics for less. And this aircraft mechanic, this young aircraft mechanic, he had personally seen this maintenance supervisor walk mechanics out the door for standing their ground. So he was already a little worried. And he, again, tried to explain to the maintenance supervisor that he felt this was the safest thing to do. And the maintenance supervisor told him point blank, if you don't sign this off as good, I'm going to fire your ass and I'll get someone else who will sign it. Now, this young mechanic, like I said, he was a sole provider for his family, two young kids, a wife. He has bills to pay, a mortgage to pay. He wanted to comply with this supervisor because he did not want to get fired. And he felt stressed, pressured. So he caved in, and he went ahead, canceled the non-routine, and he signed off the task card, inspected in accordance with whatever it was, 
Now, I think it was either a month or two later, something did happen on that aircraft. There was no deaths, but there were a few injuries due to evacuation of the aircraft. And during the FAA and the NTSB's investigation, they did find that, that although the flap over travel stop was not the culprit for the incident that occurred, it was worn, and it was worn beyond limits. And so they looked into that, and they found the work history, and they found this aircraft mechanic's name, so they go to interview him. The aircraft mechanic, he explains to them that, yeah, it was barely within limits, but I felt pressured by my manager to go ahead and sign off. He explained the whole thing to him. And they said, no, it doesn't count. It's you who were responsible. So go ahead and hand over your license. The FAA rep takes this A&P's license. So now essentially this A&P is out of a job. So about three weeks later, he gets notification that he is part of a lawsuit. One of the passengers that injured themselves, their attorney did investigations of their own and through everything that came out, found that there was maintenance that was done on the aircraft. And through their own due diligence, they found that the aircraft had maintenance on it a month or two prior. And although this particular flap over travel stop that this mechanic signed off as good, but he shouldn't have, was not the issue that caused this aircraft incident, he was still pulled in as part of the lawsuit. So he gets an aviation lawyer. Now, remember, he's out of a job. The FAA took his AMP license. He spends pretty much all of his savings on a defense attorney, which is the attorney that is telling me this story. He sells his house, he sells his cars, he moves his family into a two-bedroom apartment. And it took about a month for this trial to end. Well, his defense attorney was successful at the argument of human factors. And they even brought in his maintenance supervisor to testify in court. And his maintenance supervisor lied. He lied under oath. And he found, in my opinion, he should have been found in contempt of court. But anyways, he lied under oath. But fortunately, this aircraft mechanic's defense attorney, again, the same guy who's telling me this story, he had several people's statements saying that this maintenance supervisor essentially was a piece of shit. He was a dick-sucking asshat, and this is the way he is. This is his behavior. This is his character. He's like this. Anyways, one thing led to another, and this aircraft mechanic, he was not found guilty of anything, and he did get off. He was, he was good to go. But remember, the FAA had revoked his license. So he writes the FAA, and he says, hey, you know, nothing happened to me. Can I have my AMP certification back? And I don't know why they didn't give it back. I suspect maybe they were embarrassed because they were hoping to make an example out of this mechanic. But he did not get his AMP license back on the grounds of, I'll say this, rightfully so, that he went ahead and he signed off that flap over travel stop and he should not have done it. Now, having revoked his license, I guess I really don't agree with that. Suspend, maybe, but not revoked. But that's neither here nor there. This poor A&P mechanic who's now out of work, he now does not have an A&P license. He's a manager at a Jiffy Loop now, still trying to support his family. And his aircraft mechanic, although he should have stood up to his supervisor, he did not, but he had to suffer because of this. And it was fortunate that he was not held criminally culpable because if that aircraft had crashed and there were deaths or major injuries, he would have been culpable. And in the jury's eyes, he was the one to blame, not the manager. Because after all, that manager sounds like a sweetheart, doesn't he? Just an absolute love joy. The point of this is that it's easy to get trapped into that I better keep my mouth shut or face getting fired mentality. 
But again, human factors and dirty dozen was at play. And human factors is not something to scoff at. It's not something, oh, it's, you know, it's just one of those things that the safety guy talks about at, at work. It's real. And do your own due diligence and look into human factors as it's related to aviation maintenance. You'll be surprised. We have such great responsibility as aircraft mechanics. We need to honor and respect the privileges granted to us. A mechanic who makes a good faith effort to comply with the rules, they're very unlikely to find themselves in trouble. You as an aircraft mechanic, you perform work and make decisions that directly affect the safety of the aircraft and those flying on it. Do not put yourself in a position that might come back and bite you. If you do, you could be fired, you could lose your license, your freedom. But that's nothing compared to having on your conscience the loss of life because of your actions. So what do you guys think? Am I right? Am I wrong? Am I full of it? Let me know. Reach out to me at apmechanicpodcast.aol.com or find me on Twitter at goodbadugly underscore AMP. You can also find me on Facebook, goodbadugly.ap, one word. And remember, new podcast, second Wednesday of each month. Please remember to subscribe and share with your friends and your family. I do appreciate it. And also, one last thing, the podcast merchandise store is up and running. I added some new things for the new year. And again, happy 2022, everybody. Let's make it a good year. And until next time, take care and be safe. We'll see you.